just nearly every Friday night at the White House, Sabbath is practiced. Lest you think I'm talking about the executive mansion in D.C., my last name is White, and we refer to my home as the White House. So, the White House. We, uh, we have been practicing this for about 17 years. And generally, it begins like this. Cindy will come, uh, and she will light two candles. Those candles, or around those two candles, our family gathers at the table. And there she begins a prayer, and often the prayer just begins like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. And then the prayer will transition a little bit and sound something like this. Lord, as the shadows of the world have crept in, we lean into you the light of the world to chase the darkness away. Something to that effect. We do, we've done this for 17 years for a variety of reasons, but one of those reasons is that we see that God himself practiced Sabbath. He rested. And it's an interesting piece of uh, biblical literature when we look at the narrative of the creation that day one through six, they all end the same way. They end with, and the evening and the morning was the first day, was the second day, was the third day. That continues throughout the narrative until the seventh day. It's never mentioned. It doesn't say, and the evening and the morning is the seventh day. People have wondered about why that is. Theologians and scholars have come together to consider that very issue of why and what they have collectively agreed on is this. That humankind was never supposed to leave the rest, the peace of God. That we were intended to be in that place, the peace of God, that place of God's rest. And so, it's no surprise that when we look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, that uh, we are reminded in the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, to separate it. Why do we do that? Well, again, as a reminder of the way things were supposed to be. We were supposed to be in God's presence, to engage in God's peace and engage in God's rest that he is offering to his people. That was the plan from the beginning. But as you know, in the beginning, there was this fall and the fall was sin was introduced and separation from God happened there. We were broken in ways I don't think we'll ever really understand or see. Uh, on this side of eternity. But we're reminded that it's the work of Christ on the cross that brings us this peace that we can go back into God's presence. We're able to spend time in the Lord's presence again and experience both his peace and his rest. And Sabbath practice is a part of that. Now, I'm going to give you some examples throughout our time together of how we in my home have practiced Sabbath or at least begun to practice Sabbath. You can take it for what it's worth. 
I am not saying this is how everyone should practice it. I am not saying that it needs to look this specific way because I do believe that Jesus is our Sabbath, that we are found fulfilled in him. But I do want to say that this may be something that is very helpful to all of us. Uh, because the Sabbath does a few things. One of the things that it does is it reminds us of what is called sacramental living, that God uniquely and specifically speaks to us through the world around us, that we can both receive his mercy and his grace in part because of the world that we live in. What I'm suggesting in Sabbath is that there is a seven-day uh, rhythm that God has called us into. And in this seven-day rhythm, we remember what God has done and that he was willing to rest and that in the midst of his rest, he's invited us to join him, that sin separates us from that rest, that Jesus came and fulfilled uh, a need that we had by dying on the cross for our sins, conquering sin and death, raising from the grave and giving life to anybody who would call on him. And that life is entering back into the very presence of God. And we see that uniquely in the Sabbath practice to take time to rest. It's unique in that it reminds us that all things are sacred. Everything. There is no dichotomy of flesh and spirit to the believer, but rather everything is enveloped in that, that we are both physical and spiritual, and that they coexist. They, they're united. They're not divided. And in this place of uh, sacredness that the believer exists in because of the work of Christ, we're able to experience God. And the weekly rhythm of Sabbath practice helps us to do that, in part. Now, I, I also recognize that this can be a very difficult subject for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons is that we're all busy. Anybody here feel busy? Okay, yeah, me too. I, I, this is me being honest, and as I'm being honest in this next statement, I want you to know that if you have said this to me, I have no idea. I, I don't remember it. I am not picking on anybody specifically, but just everybody generally, okay? So, uh, and that is whenever someone says, oh, I am just so busy. My brain checks out. Like you might as well be saying, I breathe air. Yeah, duh. Of course you breathe air. Uh, of course you're busy. We're all busy. That's a part of life. So what are we supposed to do about that? Well, we're supposed to make room. We're supposed to pause. We're supposed to enter into God's rest sacramentally, experiencing God's mercy and God's grace, and all of our life is based on that. In fact, if you would be willing just in your mind's eye to go to this place with me, even uh, as I quote from Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. What does that mean? Except that the heavens declare the glory of God, that nature itself speaks to us about the creator. And if you would be willing in your mind's eye to go outside to the beautiful dark night, and as you look up in the sky, you would 
see these stars up in the sky and you might think, whoa, there is a lot of darkness and yet the light shines in the darkness even when the darkness doesn't comprehend it. And even the night sky would point us to the fact that there is this creator who loves us and that there is this light that shines and that light represents God and God has called us to himself. And even in the midst of darkness, the light shines and can shine and should shine. We live sacramentally, experiencing God in all things, in nature, and in the rhythm of life that we live. Baton Rouge Clinic came out with a blog, and uh, it, was, it was such a good blog. It identified a lot of things happen whenever we don't get our rest. So things happen to us whenever we don't rest. Some things that are significant is uh, we have a higher probability of things like heart attacks and strokes. That sounds horrible. I don't want that. Uh, so rest helps to address those type of things. Uh, not just that, but also there is a propensity to get sick if you don't get enough rest. Uh, not just that, but it can affect the very way that we look if we don't get enough rest. Beauty sleep, right? Well, that article goes on to explain a lot of things physiologically that happen when we don't get rest. I want to suggest to us that that's only part of it. And perhaps not even the most important part. That rest does other stuff as well. And if we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, we may recognize that it's Jesus himself who is offering to the church this gift of Sabbath that is both rest and healing. And we're going to see that in just a few moments as we turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 23 and work our way through uh, chapter 3, verse mm, I'm not sure if we'll stop at five or six. We'll see. It'll be a surprise for everyone. With that in mind, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you and praise you. We ask, oh, Lord, that you would be exalted. And even today, as we consider that uh, you, you have a plan, and we live a rhythm of life that is sometimes unattainable, that sometimes in the midst of that rhythm, we become exhausted and we forget. And we deviate from your plan in a variety of ways. And one of those ways is by not taking care of your creation, your very temple. And so, Lord, as we come together today, I pray that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that this wouldn't be about the law, but about a gift that you have extended to your church for the sake of life, for the sake of love, for the sake of restoration. And so, Lord, with, with that heart, would you help us to receive that today? Would you help us to dig into your word, and as we dig into your word, to respond in faith to you for your glory? We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Well, let's jump in. Each section I want to put a sort of a banner over. Uh, this banner is specific to this passage, but I think that there are some truths that maybe we can receive in the midst of these banners. And as we look at these truths, perhaps we can even apply them to our lives. 
And as we apply them to our lives, I believe that it's going to help us to walk into this place of God's rest, the place of peace, the seventh day rest that God has promised his people. So the first one is the Sabbath displays God's love and care for humankind. One of the reasons that or one of the things, rather, I have found over the last 17 years of practicing uh, this, this uh, Sabbath practice is that there is a corporateness that we experience as a family. So I have seven children. Uh, some of them still live in my home, but over the course of the last 17 years, they all have been in my home. And one of the things that is interesting to me is the differences in my children. Like sometimes I go, you guys share DNA and you're so different. How can this be? Several of my children, their love language is time spent. Their mother's love language is also time spent. Time spent is not my love language. It's like four, but if I'm really being honest, it's probably five. Uh, and I feel bad even confessing that, <laughs> but it's true. And if my wife was here, she'd be nodding her head. Yes, that is absolutely true, and trying to get Kenny to hold still is really difficult. And that is also true. So what I'm suggesting to you is this, that as we get together on Friday nights, one of the ways that I get to love my family is speaking in their love language. As God has loved me, I now get the opportunity to love my family in a very specific way, in a way that wouldn't necessarily be my default or even a natural way for me personally, but in a way that my, my kids that have that love language and my wife, who definitely has that love language, are just drinking it in. And in those moments, in a sacrament sort of way, we recognize God's mercy given to us that we can now share with others. If you noticed earlier, I, I said the second part of that prayer this way, that the darkness of the world is creeping in and God's light is shining in us and through us to chase away those shadows. That becomes very apparent as we sit down together uh, at our Sabbath table. That the world has been creeping in. And the world is trying to take over and the darkness of the world is very present even at our table. And to be so specific to suggest that God wants to meet us in that place and the light of Christ to shine in such a way that it chases that darkness away is significant, but it's also accurate. And you're going to see that uh, kind of come alive in this passage uniquely. If you're not there, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23 and reading through 28 in this section. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. A couple of things that, that maybe isn't... Um, intuitive to us, on uh, uh, separated by 2,000 years from this writing, is that the practice, at least in the first century, is that there are these uh, 39 activities that are unacceptable. Harvesting is one of them. What they are doing would have been considered by some harvesting, that they're taking these grains off and, and they're kind of breaking it down so that they can eat it. Eating is okay. You can eat on the Sabbath. That's fine. 
You can't harvest on the Sabbath. That's one of those no-nos, those 39 things you shouldn't be doing. And in fact, if it's unmeasured, if it's not specific, even walking could be breaking the Sabbath the way that it seems to be being explained right now. So what I'm saying is that Jesus' disciples are doing something that the Pharisees would have been like, hmm, I'm not very comfortable with this. And you're going to see that come alive here in just a moment. Verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? I mean, one question might be that, um, why are the Pharisees in that field? (laughs) What are they doing there? That might be a fair question. It could be that they're, they're looking to trick Jesus. That comes alive in the next chapter, as we'll see in a moment. But they're wondering, uh, why are they doing, why are they harvesting? What is going on? Why would they allow that? God has given us this gift of Sabbath, this rest, and we're breaking it. That's unlawful, verse 25. And he, Jesus, said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, Jesus is going, like, he goes from zero to 60 like that. Like, it is, he is not matching situation for situation, but he's going way above the situation. In other words, he's not suggesting just like, well, on the Sabbath, if somebody's hungry, here's an example. He goes to King David who is hungry and is with some of his uh, warriors, he goes into the Holy of Holies, or I'm sorry, the holy place, and he gets the showbread, which is designated exclusively for the priests, is not meant for the king, is not meant for common use, but he's hungry. And so he eats it, and they eat it, and nothing happens. It's okay. Jesus kind of trumps their opinion with this example. Let's continue on. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Before I read this uh, next section again, Jesus is, is doing something that is subtle. Don't miss it. These Pharisees have a ruling. They have a legal ruling that they are speaking now to Jesus. And Jesus is challenging that ruling. And this next passage makes it even more clear. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God is gifting this Sabbath to his people that they would then have the ability to rest, to pause and to enter into God's presence uniquely. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I mean, he's got these guys twisted up in knots. Where one, he's trumping, he's challenging what they're saying, trumping what they're saying, and then he makes the comment, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. They haven't yet accepted him, and they are not going to accept him as the Son of Man, a messianic statement. This messianic statement is also his claim to authority. And in this authority, he says that he is Lord, he is master over the Sabbath. In other words, it's not the Pharisees who rule, but it's the Messiah. 
And oh, by the way, he's the Messiah. How do you think the Pharisees are responding to this? They're not particularly pleased at this account. And you're going to see that in this next section. So, not only does the Sabbath display God's love and care for humankind, because the Sab- we weren't made for the Sabbath. Like, oh, the Sabbath's here. We, we, gotta, we, we, we can only do these things. Let's follow these legal rulings that are man-made. That's not it. But rather, this Sabbath is a gift of God's love and care for his people. And also, the Sabbath was made for us to go to Jesus. You're going to see that in this next section. Watch how Jesus invites this man who has a need to come to him. And the challenge that we have to go to Jesus. I I can tell you that at our Sabbath table, which is just our dinner table, on Friday night with some candles on it, that we have at times been hurried. Oh, there's something going on or we, we didn't get there until late. Lots of things. And we just went through it very quickly. Okay, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. Lord, we thank you for uh, this week as we reflect on how the shadows of this world have crept in. We remember you, the light of the world, who is chasing away the darkness. Amen. What we eaten? And that's as deep as it's gotten. And that's not good. Because the Sabbath is also intended for us to engage Jesus and to meet him. Watch how it happens in this passage. It's pretty cool. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Some of the early, the early church that spoke on this passage suggested that this man uh, was a plasterer. He took like a, kind of this cob makeup and uh, would plaster walls with it. Uh, that's extra biblical. We don't know if that's true or not. I'm just telling you how the early church responded to it. Their point is this, not that he was a plasterer, but rather he needed his hand, both of them. If he was going to uh, care for his family, if, if he was going to make a living, he needed both hands. Like That was the emphasis of what the early church was, was teaching on this matter. But again, we have no way of knowing if that's true or not. Uh, it, Uh, It it was uh, what was being perpetuated in the early church. Verse 2. And they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Okay, Jesus, you just kind of embarrassed us. And you you have said that your ruling is better than ours. Let's see if Jesus is going to do what sinners do and ignore the Sabbath and heal. How dare he? Who's he think he is? So they watched. Jesus, I, I love Jesus for so many reasons. This is one of them. Watch what he does. And he, Jesus, said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Uh, the word that he uses is often used to, uh, to, to be spoken to people like when they're asleep. Hey, you're asleep. Rise up. It's like you're coming out of this kind of groggy state and you're fully alert. Since just the few of us here this morning, I can share an intimate story. Um, and here it is. My, my kids, they, they tease me mercilessly. They get it from their mom. And they, I'm just kidding. Just relax. It's okay. And they, they tease me sincerely and it, it's fun. But when I wake up, it is really hard to uh, see. 
I'm almost blind in the mornings. It takes a while for me to kind of get the sand out of my eyes, as, as we sometimes refer to it. And they say, oh, here he comes. Look, it's Daddy Fat Eyes. That's what they call me, Daddy Fat Eyes, because my eyes are swollen. Arise. Get up. Get out of that state and into a state where you're fully engaged. Get rid of Daddy Fat Eyes. <laughs> That's the idea here. And we see Jesus calling them to that. Is he aware of what the Pharisees are thinking? Absolutely. Uh, does he know what's going on? Yeah, we're going to see it in just a moment. And despite that, it doesn't matter what they think. It matters what God has called us to. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus is bringing it, and at times by force. And at times in ways <laughs> that is not always appreciated. Regardless, the truth is the truth. And in love, Jesus delivers it. Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Jesus is saying that uh, in part because a part of the teaching of the day is that the Word of God is given specifically to extend life. In fact, there are things in the Word of God that if it extends life, you, you can push pause on that matter if it extends life. Jesus has them in a tough spot. The tough spot is if they say, well, to save life, that's the fulfillment of scriptures, to do what the scripture says, then he goes, yeah, and I'm healing. If they respond to kill, then Jesus says, oh, wait a minute. Uh, clearly, that is not why God has given us his word. So they're silent. There's a third option, and that's just to shut up and see what happens, and that's what they do. So the Sabbath was made for us to go to Jesus. This man goes to Jesus. He's invited. He enters into Jesus' presence. And the Sabbath allows for restoration. To restore. To restore to God's kingdom purpose, his holy design. To restore. That the shadows of the world that creep in would be pushed away by the light of Christ. And this, this place of restoration, this Sabbath, in part, allows for that. Now, let, let me share with you a couple of things that happen from time to time in our Sabbath uh, practice. Regularly, we pray for our kids, our, our boys. I have three boys and four girls. We pray for them, lay hands on them, lovingly lay hands on them. I have to add that part sometimes. Uh, lovingly lay hands on them and, and pray over them and as the boys gather I say a prayer like this. Almighty God, let these boys be like John and Peter who sat at your feet and drank your words in thirstily, who were willing to give their lives for you. Amen. You can see these kids kind of, yeah, that, that, that's what I was meant to do. They're, they're getting some purpose back in their life because the shadows of the world kind of crept in and the light of Christ, as is manifested, uh, chases those shadows away. And I lean over to my girls, and I pray for them, and I say, Lord, help them to be like Mary and Martha, who both served you and sat at your feet, who drank your words in thirstily, who followed you when others didn't. Amen. And you can see these girls go, oh, yeah, there is a purpose in my life. 
The shadows of the world are coming in, but the light of Christ is illuminating and chasing those shadows away. And the Sabbath is a vehicle that God has used for us to enter into his rest. And we're going to see that come out here in just a moment. And he looked around at them with anger. He's looking at the Pharisees. Grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. Look, the restoration is coming. This is the way you're supposed to function. This, this is how it is supposed to be. And he does that in this moment. He stretched out his hand and his hand was restored. Now, I'm not saying that at the Sabbath, uh, God, heals, uh, uh, God heals quite that way. He can and he may. But, but I'm not saying that that's always the way that it goes. But I am saying that in this place that is uniquely designated for God's presence and for us to enter into God's presence together, God does restore. Sometimes it happens this way. We'll say to the kids, hey, uh, what do you see God doing in your life this last week? And sometimes they share and it's very clear. Oh, God provided this for me. Or here's a friend who loves the Lord too and I didn't even know. Uh, I thought I was alone in school. But no, this kid loves the Lord and is an encouragement to me. And those kind of stories come up. But recently, uh, another situation happened. It happened to me. And as I was sitting there listening to my family members tell stories of God at work in their lives, something occurred to me. And that is that I stopped looking for God. Well, what do I mean by that? Specifically, I mean, uh, I, I kind of got off the path a little bit and I stopped looking for his return. One of the things that was true about the early church is that they were anticipating Jesus' arrival. Maybe, maybe he'll show up over that hill. Or maybe when we go fishing, he'll show up on the shore again. Or maybe he's coming in the clouds today. And the anticipation of Christ's return was always on their hearts. And I saw that deviate in my heart. And as I began to be honest in that moment that happened in a, in a split second but seemed like eternal, I, I sat there going, why, why is that? Why did I stop doing that? The answer that I had in that moment was this. I really like this world. I really like the stuff and the things of this world. And it's, it's kind of trapped me. The shadows of this world have crept in so much that I, I forgot about the light of Christ and I forgot to anticipate his arrival and live uh, in full view of his return. That's not good. In fact, that's sin and I confess that. And in that moment, there was restoration uniquely. Mm. I'm reminded that I'm entering into God's presence and his rest. I'm reminded that God has a plan for me in, in this place. I'm, I'm reminded that I have purpose. I'm reminded that God's love and care has been extended to me. I'm reminded that I need to come to Jesus, not just every seven days, but every moment of every day, and that Jesus isn't just my gateway into this peace. He is my peace, and Jesus really is my all in all, my everything, and I have to lean into that reality and not live separate from it. And family, I'm sorry that that was true of your dad, of your husband. Forgive me. And they're loving and gracious and say things like, yeah, stop it, Dad. Don't do that anymore. Yeah, okay, thanks. We need those kind of discussions, though. It needs to happen somewhere. And we've found that our Sabbath table 
allows for that. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We don't have time to go into this, but I want to encourage you to supplementally, sometime throughout this week, go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 11 uh, unfold some things that give insight. If you have commentary, I want to encourage you to read some commentary on it. Uh, you'll see that God has given the Sabbath rest to his people and that this Sabbath rest isn't just a, a weekly rhythm that we experience, but a daily reality that we exist in because indeed Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Practicing Sabbath reminds us of Jesus and prepares us for him. Living in light of the reality that he can return anytime. And that at any moment we could be called up to him, whether that's in his return or uh, in, in our graduation from this side of eternity to the next side. And, and that with anticipation, we prepare for his return because our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus gifts the church with rest and healing. Do you need that? Absolutely. Are you ready for that? I hope so. You're busy. I know. So am I. We are all busy. But for us to take time and own our calendars in such a way that we designate a time specifically for remembering what God has done and entering into his presence, even together, shapes our spiritual walk in some dynamic ways, and I want to encourage you to consider that. I recognize maybe Friday nights, for whatever reason, don't work for you. Find a night and make it stick. Find a time where the evening and the morning reflects this idea that you're going into the very presence of God and that Jesus has enabled you to do that. It's important. As the worship team comes out here in just a few moments, I want to go through a few questions for us. Some questions to help us to uh, get our mind in the right place. This, these questions are on our app. If you, uh, if you have our app, you can go to our app. You can go down to, uh, I, I think it's in our resources or notes. Nope, it's in notes. And from there, you can pull up the sermons and these slides are on that. Or you can get your phone out and take a picture of it. Either way is great. But here are some questions. What is your rhythm of rest? Well, I go to bed around 1 and wake up at 5. That's a bad rhythm. <laughs> uh, if, if we're not pausing before the Lord, if we're not giving opportunity, not just for our bodies, but for our spirits to be restored to God's plan. How are you experiencing Christ in your rest? As I mentioned earlier, uh, we can speed through this and this can just become another thing that we do and we can set our own rules and laws similar to the Pharisees or we can embrace what God has offered us and seek Christ in the midst of it. Three, are you abusing Christ's creation by not resting? Let me just stop there for a second. Uh, so God has built us to rest. He has invited us to a rhythm of rest. When we don't engage in that rhythm of rest, we are actually doing damage to these temples that God has created. So with that in mind, we are in fact abusing these temples when we're not resting. If that is the case for you, as it has been for me, 
This is the requirement. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry, this is called repentance. And turning to him to say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing you. I, I want to walk in your ways all the days of my life, not just when it's convenient or when I forget to plan. Fourth, how might you better discover Christ by entering his rest? So to be purposeful mentally, to go into that place recognizing that Jesus wants to meet me in that place. And what does that look like? What might that look like? As we prepare our hearts for communion, uh, I want to encourage you to remember what the Lord has done, that, that it's his work, his body that was broken, his blood that was given, that allows us to go into the very presence of God. Because that's true, the early church also gave us some requirements to examine our hearts. Is there any unconfessed sin? If there is, to address that unconfessed sin by repenting and turning towards him. At that time, after you have the peace of God to move forward, we want to encourage you to come through the carpeted areas and get both the bread and the cup and return to your seats. And at the end of this next time of worship, we'll participate together. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we do love you and we thank you. We thank you that you have given us this rest to return to your design, that all things are sacred, that we live sacramentally uh, before you, Lord, a life that is dedicated to you, and a life that sees you in all things, whether we're out in nature or we're just living a natural rhythm of life. Lord, help us to walk in your ways. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for the cross, for sins forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to offer your body as a sacrifice for our sins. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for those things that we've done and for those things that we've left undone that were against you, that have kept us out of your rest. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.